A smart person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from others' mistakes. Welcome to the My Mistakes Podcast. We cover the lessons learned from the mistakes we've made in business so you won't do the same. I'm Chris Chantrulli. Today's guest is Chris Gronkowski, and anyone that follows football is familiar with that family name. Find out how the Cowboys, Broncos, and Colts prepared Chris for the set of Shark Tank where he would pitch an idea he had for a shaker bottle that doesn't smell and would keep your drink cold for 30 hours at a time. This episode is being brought to you by Don Pablo Coffee. Specialty grade beans roasted in small batches. It's a better cup of coffee. Get yours at Amazon or at DonPabloCoffee.com. So today's guest is someone that came onto my radar from just scrolling through LinkedIn. And I think it was suggested I should be friends or know him, or I saw lots of mutual connections that we had. So I reached out to Chris and he could not have been a nicer guy. Not only did he take the time on a Sunday night to record this, but his wife is due any second with their third son. So this really means a lot that he took the time to be on. So Chris, if I can welcome you to the My Mistakes podcast, thank you so much for being here. Hey, what's up, Chris? Thanks for having me. Unbelievable. And I'm hoping that in the event your wife says that her water broke or she's in labor, if you could take your MacBook with you and take (laughs) us along for the ride, it would definitely be unbelievable reporting. I could get into journalism at that point. (laughs) That would be a little crazy. She wouldn't be too happy about that. I'm going straight for the car, man. The bags are packed. I'm ready to go, man. This is round three, so I'm a pro now. Nice. So how old are your other sons? What are their names? So I got a three-year-old. His name's Bear, like uh, like the grizzly bear. And then I have a one-year-old. He's about to turn two. His name's Ledger. Number three on the way. Any day now, my wife was due on Thursday, Sunday night now. So we're just kind of in this holding pattern. You know, I'm, I'm just waiting for the call. Wow. Very exciting. So you know something about a family full of boys. And I started doing my research on you. I'm ashamed to admit I didn't know the stats the same way that my brother did when I mentioned that you were coming on tonight or my father did. I guess I don't have the most athletic ability compared to my brother, or that's what he would tell you. But I know you more from being on Shark Tank. And that's what stood out to me because I'm more focused on business, where I guess my brother's more in sports. So kind of walk me through Let's start from the beginning, where you were born, sports, family life. You take it. Just give me a rundown. Bring me up to speed to like high school. For sure. For sure. So the middle of five brothers, I was, we were born in Buffalo, New York. So man, growing up with, with five boys, you can just imagine what it was like. We weren't just small boys either, man. We were, we were some big dudes and you know, four out of five of us went on to play in the NFL. My oldest brother you know, went and played minor league baseball and was drafted in baseball. Every day was a battle. You know, if the day didn't end in a fight, it was like something was wrong. We just had to get in a fight anyways. And that's kind of how it was. But <laughs> we were that neighborhood where everybody came over. You know, it wasn't just, you know, us five. It was us five plus one or two of our friends. And we were always doing something. So, you know, hide and seek, backyard baseball, mini sticks in the basement. We were just making up games. We were doing whatever we could. And you know, it was it was fun, man. It was like that neighborhood, you know, that you see on TV where you know, just a bunch of boys and, and it was crazy because like everyone had had boys on our street and everyone was young and, and around our age. And we just, you know, walk around the neighborhood and it was always, there was always something to do. So 
definitely a cool place to grow up. And so much came out of it. You know, we, we just were constantly competing in everything. And I think that's really what took us to the next level. So we started playing sports early, you know, mostly hockey, really from Buffalo. So you have to play hockey and baseball as well. Let's see, high school was really the first time I was introduced to football. My older brother, Dan, played. He was a beast. He was about 6'6", 235 in high school. He went on to get a scholarship and he was a quarterback. So I thought it was cool. I wanted to do it too. And you know, I wasn't as tall as, as athletic or as good as him, but I, I still wanted to play and be like my brother. And I was able to get a scholarship myself. Pretty crazy story that I could go into as well if we got time. But ultimately, he was going Ivy League and, and got a last minute call to go to the University of Maryland and play with my brother. Wow. What was that like? Man, that was so it was cool because I got to play with, you know, my, we're about two years apart. I got to play with my older brother, Dan, in high school. And then I got to play with my younger brother, Rob, as well, when he came up and you know, Dan left for college. And I ended up going to college at Maryland and playing with my brother, Dan, again, which was always the best because when your family's out there, you're always motivated to play better because you go into that film room and you got to brag to your brother. You got to be like, man, do you see that hit? You know, check that out. And that's kind of how it always was, you know, a big play, big hit. And it was, you know, the same thing if it was opposite. You know, if you got blown up, you knew you were going to get crushed (laughs) in the film room for, you know, getting blown up on a play. So we had to go all out just to kind of try to impress each other. And so I always loved playing with family members because I always took it to that next level. So I was able to play with my brother, Dan, in college at Maryland. And then I ended up transferring actually into the University of Arizona. And I I played with my brother, Rob, there. Of you guys, who would you say has the most God-given talent for athletics and who had to work the hardest with the talents they were given? Man, my brother, Rob, definitely was the most gifted. My brother, Dan, too. You know, they were both just freaks in, in high school. You know, people would say that, you know, my brother, Dan, looked like a a man out there among children. And he really did. I mean, he was, he was huge. He was six, 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 five in high school, you know, two thirty five playing quarterback. And it was just like, wow, man, who is that guy? And then Rob, you know, he, he went on to be an all pro pro bowler multiple times, win multiple Super Bowls. So his talent was there. I think he was just a lot more aggressive than, than, than Dan. Like Rob was just always, he's a savage man. And, And I think that's how I was as well. And we we clicked really well together and played well together because of that reason. But man, I tell people all the time I was probably the least talented out of out of my family. I was the shortest, probably one of the slower ones as well. And every day my dad would just tell me that if I wanted to take it to that next level, I had to get in the basement. And what that meant was, you know, we had this full gym that my dad built in the basement. And that if I wanted to get to that next level, I had to put that work in every single day. And I did. It was something where I left high school with all the high school lifting records got to the University of Maryland and won the Iron Turp Award for the running backs, which was you know the, the strongest pound-for-pound pound athlete in the running back room. So it was pretty pretty cool to get that award as a freshman. And so I always had to work for it, for sure. I, I'll probably give myself that one. You come from a long line of really good genetics between your father and your grandfather, I read. I guess my, I think my great-grandfather was in the Olympics for cycling, so we never met. I believe it was your grandfather, if I'm not mistaken. But what do I know? It's just Wikipedia. So my grandfather wasn't, and I met him, but he he passed when I was really young. But it was his, it was his dad. So it was my great grandfather that was a cyclist, and then my dad played college football at the University of Syracuse. So it, it was definitely in our blood. But you know, I don't I don't know if it was necessarily at that elite level, you know, that we kind of took it to with with the five brothers. It's really amazing that you could have that much 
talent in your gene pool for, I guess, strength, agility, all that it takes to make it to the NFL. When it came down to working out together, you and your brothers, very tight, very close. You said there was some fighting. I'm guessing that was just as brothers do, wrestle, horse around. Were you guys always very close, best of friends growing up? And has that continued to this day? Yeah, I think that we kind of hated each other growing up, but at the same time, it was brotherly love, you know? You know, it was it was brawls all day, every day. We'd hold each other down and, you know, you'd give each other you know, 100 Charlie horses if you could. And man, I, I still remember that, you know, if, if my brother you know did something better than me, it was like, you know, I got to I got to I got to one up him. You know, if he hit five home runs, I had to hit six. You know, that's kind of how it was. And that's what I think really bred competition in us. And at that time, you know, it was always about just kind of beating each other. I think as we got older, it was a lot more about supporting each other. Instead of trying to beat them and everything, it was all about, hey, you know, let's do this together. Let's compete together. You know, let's win as a team together. And it was really cool because we played positions where we could do that. You know, I'd line up as a wingback or a fullback and, you know, we'd have a double team block up to the linebackers and you know, we'd run patterns where, you know, we'd split the D and one of us would be wide open because the other one did a good job. So it, it was pretty cool. But yeah, at first, man, we were, we'd brawl, we'd brawl hard. You know, it, it's more of just, you know, being brothers, I, I think is what it was. And then, you know, as we got older, it really became something where it was just, it was all love and support for each other and trying to, trying to help each other out as much as we could. I love how you said that someone who's mentoring me, who is a radio legend, he told me that in every interview, try to find that one golden nugget that you're going to take or something that you found special. And what's going through my mind right now is you guys were like a team within a team. And the fact that you guys were playing together and, as you said, positions where you could work together, watch out for each other, play together, win together. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm guessing you have to feel like the ultimate team because you're going to watch out and defend even more so because it's your blood that you're playing with. Yeah, we always, always took it to that next level because of that reason. You know, I think a, a lot of our stuff and what I tell people too is that you know, we worked to get in that position that we got to, you know, people ask like, how, how do I get to college? How do I get to a scholarship? And what my dad did was huge for us at a young age. We were in high school. He went out and got a, a strength coach and he also got a speed coach. And I think the speed coach was, was the biggest factor. You know, people say, how, how were you guys all so talented, so athletic? You know, we weren't, it, it was something that we had to work at. I started during the summer when we first got a speed coach and I was running, you know, a, a 5040 yard dash, which is a time that would never get you a scholarship to put it, to put it frank. So, you know, by the end of this summer where, you know, we ran every day during the summer and we ran till we threw up, you know, we did agility, agility drills. We did ladder drills. We just ran, you know, around the track, you know, we, we ran you know, 400s as fast as we could. We practiced our starts, practiced our arm swings. We did everything, you know, after that summer, you know, I was running a four seven and, and that's something that would get you a scholarship. And it was such an improvement that took me from having no chance to, you know, having a really good chance to, to get into that next level. And it really set us up for the rest of our careers because we learned at a young age how to control our body, how to be more explosive and, and how to be faster as well. So I think a lot of the success also came from a lot of hard work that we put in. Did you guys have goals at that age? Like, was it to improve your speed? Was it goals to make varsity, to get a scholarship? Were there goals that were being set, accomplished, and new goals being set? Talk to me about that. 
So really, you know, my dad was the one who was setting the goals for himself. And it was, you know, he wanted to get all five brothers to get scholarships. You know, his main goal was to not have to pay for college. So I think that's where that came from. And for us, it just became, it was just natural for us to to want to, you know, make it to the next level. So I don't, I don't know if we necessarily set weekly goals or anything like that. I mean, my goal was to play division one football and that was very, very hard for me to get to. And my dad really helped me get there by showcasing, showing us the way when he came out of high school himself, he wasn't highly recruited and it's super hard to actually get recruited out of Buffalo, New York. You know, he got on a bus, he paid for a bus, he traveled around the entire the nation and went college to college just with his, with his game film, showing coaches and showing what he could do. And he actually walked out of there with a, a scholarship. I think it was Long Beach State, all the way in California. He made it to. They offered him full scholarship. He came back and you know was telling people, and, and the scouts from Syracuse heard about it. Ended up offering him instead. He went to Syracuse on a full scholarship, but he knew what it took to really get your name out there, get in front of people. He knew it'd be tough, especially for me. So he was putting us in front of these coaches by sending us the camps, you know, by sending our game film out to them. And it wasn't actually him doing it; it was him making us do it. Because to him, it was always, hey, if you guys don't even care enough to do that, then you obviously don't want to be there in the first place. So I'm not even going to waste my time. So he was always willing to show us the way, but he always made us earn it. And we had to deserve, we had to earn everything that we got when nothing was ever handed to us. Do you think that if you and your brothers had been born to a different father, but he didn't have this same drive, this plan for you, do you think you still would have had the talent or made it to the NFL? No, I mean, I, I don't think there's any chance. And, and I don't think it's just my, my dad. I think it's my mom as well and the support that she gave us too. What did she do for you guys? After having five boys, she worked as long as she could. But after me, you know, it's, it's pretty much impossible to, to work when you have three boys so, and then four and five. So she was the one that was taking care of us on, on a daily basis, driving us to all of our sports games, feeding us. We ate every single meal at home. You know, she, we first off didn't have money to eat out. Second off, she couldn't she couldn't control us because we were too crazy. If you put all five of us together in a restaurant, then they were they were smart about their money. My dad worked six years, two jobs because he started his own business, and you know, t- times were tough. So, my mom was there to feed us, drive us every practice. She had this huge calendar that would have like fifteen to twenty events on it every single day because we weren't just on one team. You know, we would play multiple sports at the same time, but we'd also play on multiple teams at the same time as well. So, travel teams and stuff like that. So. For her, it, it was just a grind as well. And then she was in charge of you know, making sure our homework got done and making sure that you know school was, was the first priority as well. So I, I think they just worked together as a, an amazing team. And because of that, got us to that next level because I, I guess I didn't really go into the story. And my, my scholarship to the University of Maryland really came because of grades is what it ended up being. I was a guy that was going Ivy League. I was going to go to the University of Penn. I got accepted into the Wharton Business School. You know, I was going to pay $50,000 a year to go to school. You, know, you didn't get scholarships. You didn't get grants to go Ivy League. And at the last two weeks of the summer, I actually got a call from the University of Maryland because a bunch of guys dropped out. They were about to go on academic probation. And they said, hey, if you could come in and you, know, you could you know, at least contribute a little bit, maybe special teams, whatever it is, but you, know, you can get a 4.0. And, and that was kind of the requirement is if you come in and you take the scholarship, you, know, you better have really good grades and you better keep them up. You know, they offered me a scholarship with two weeks left in the summer. I tell people all the time, if it wasn't for the grades and and the schoolwork, I would have never got that scholarship. There's no way. I respect so much the fact that you gave your mom that credit. And I was going to say, you could tell that you're a team player. 
because you didn't want to not have her included. And then you used the phrase, they were a really good team. So I think that says a lot about your character. And I'm really, uh, really impressed. I'm impressed with your dad, how he had the foresight to know about strength and conditioning and me being an exercise physiologist for many years. I've been telling this to people for a long time as far as the importance of it's an investment of time, of money, but thinking of the long game, whatever that goal may be for you guys, NFL. What was that experience like when brother number one gets signed going to the NFL? Is it the same excitement when you're getting that phone call or were your parents equally excited for each of you? Or is it like having a child where the first one's really exciting, the second one (laughs) is exciting, but you've been there before. And then the third, you're like, Call me when you're about to uh, have this baby, honey, and I'll meet you there. I'm doing a podcast right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, so the first one was my oldest brother, Gordy, and he was playing baseball. He was actually a freshman All-American, and he hurt his back his sophomore year. And, and as a senior, he was, in, he was in the MLB draft. And with the MLB draft, it's 50 rounds, and he didn't get a call until the 49th round. So it, it was pretty frustrating for him. And then you know, going 49th round, you know, it's, it's exciting still. It's definitely not what you hope for, and it's still a long way from MLB. So that that was that was awesome. It, you know, it was the first one in our family that got drafted, so it was it was really a cool experience. You know, then it went to my brother Dan, who was uh, a year ahead of me. He ended up going late as well, but still, same thing. And this was NFL draft, and it's only seven rounds. So if you get drafted, it's a pretty big deal. So that that was you know it was a party. We had a big draft party, and we were happy to see him get drafted. It kind of put him in a tough position though because. With the draft, if, if you get drafted late, it's kind of a value pick. And he got put into a spot where they didn't necessarily need a tight end, but you know he was a good player, so they wanted him on the team and kind of got him stuck in, in, in a tough situation for his first two years. But you know the, the next draft that came up was, wasn't just me. It was also my brother, Rob. He ended up leaving early, and I was a redshirt senior at the time. So this was like you know, the ultimate draft, and it was looking like he could be a first-round pick. And so we were able to go to New York City for it. And we were sitting with all you know the big dogs and waiting for his name to get called. And you know, he ended up not going first round. He ended up going in the second round. And again, so it was it was kind of frustrating, but he he didn't play his junior year and it, it was a question mark for sure. So he ended up going to the Patriots in the second round. And the second his name got called, it was game on. And it was fun, man. That was a party. And for me, I was in the same draft, but I knew my chances were very, very slim. And I didn't get drafted actually was able to sign with the the Dallas Cowboys about three minutes after the draft ended and going back to the situation that my brother Dan got stuck in. It was pretty cool for me because I was kind of a, a bubble player on if I would get drafted or not. And I actually got a choice to which team I wanted to go to. Because when you get drafted, I mean, you you have absolutely no say where you're going. You, know, you just, the team that picks you, picks you. And so for me, it was actually a good situation where I was able to pick a team that I knew I would have a pretty decent chance of actually making the squad with. That's awesome. You tell a story very well. I'm thinking and picturing like how that would be for myself and my brother. And I believe that you are very genuine when you guys all had excitement for each other, getting to experience that. And I can only imagine your mom and dad, they must've been just absolutely like floating on air. Just, wow, it's quite a rush. So I want to start getting into the area of business, but I would regret not asking you because it's such an immature question. Anytime I've ever talked to anyone that's played in 
any professional organization, I always ask the very immature, childish question of, so what's that like? I'm curious, your first game, first time you go out onto the field, stadium's packed. Oh, yeah. What can you possibly compare that to? Man, I don't know. There's really nothing you, man, maybe having your first kid, that, that might be the only thing that really gets you to that level of excitement but nervousness at the same time. Yeah, you walk out there and, and it's, it's like you're shaking, but you're excited and you know, you're so prepared, but you, know, you think you're going to forget what you're doing. And I mean, it's crazy, I guess. You know, I can't, I couldn't even compare like, like Shark Tank to it. You know, it, it doesn't even get to that level. Yeah, man, it, it, it's definitely something that you'd have to experience to really know that feeling. And, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be able to play in 34 games. So it, it was a pretty awesome experience for me. And, you know, I wouldn't change it if I could. I wanted to ask you the question, what's it like going out to the field for a Super Bowl? But can we get your brother on the phone right now? <laughs> yeah, man. I, how I, I went out a couple times after they won. It was amazing. I didn't have to take any hits and I still got to celebrate. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Awesome. So you mentioned Shark Tank. And when I told my dad that I was going to be interviewing you, that's what he mentioned because everyone knows you guys for Shark Tank and playing Flip Cup with uh, all the sharks. And so how did that come to be? Tell me about what led from or your transition from playing professional football to being an entrepreneur. You mentioned that about your dad having his own business. Again, is this someone who motivated you or gave you the idea to do something on your own? What happened post-football? Yeah. So my dad, he started his business man, when we were kids and his business was fitness equipment. He was selling retail and commercial fitness equipment. And for him, it came about because he was a college football player and he wanted to train us with similar equipment. And when he tried to find an Olympic bench or a nice rack, there was nothing in Buffalo, New York that you could buy. You know, there was just, you could go to like a Dick Sporting Goods. You could buy lower end equipment, but he wanted something that was going to last. He had five boys and he wanted to use, you know, quality equipment that he was training with. So he had to drive to New Jersey to find it. And at that point he's like, wow, you know, maybe I could do this. And it was his passion. He loved it. And, you know, he started the business. It was absolute grind. He's now the the second largest distributor of fitness equipment in the U.S. and continues to grow. So he's done a great job with it, and he's been a, a great mentor and a great person to watch, a great example for me. So I grew up, you know, delivering treadmills in the inner city of Buffalo, and I take the heavy end because you know there's there's two there's two ends. The end with the motor is actually a lot heavier. You know, I started working there when I was 15, and I was still one of the stronger guys out of the delivery guys. So they used to make me take the heavy end. So yeah, I think I think entrepreneurship was always in my blood, it was awesome to watch my dad. You know, I, I was kind of just behind the scenes and delivering fitness equipment and stuff, but I still got to see the ins and outs of it. And then, you know, this Shark Tank thing, it, it was kind of a crazy story as well. I was playing in Denver when I got an email from my agent. And in the email, it just said, hey, you know, the, the show Shark Tank is looking for any current or former players that might have a really cool idea to go on the show with. Man, I, I looked at it and said, wow, I love that show. That, you know, one day I hope I can get on there. And so I kept the email. I was still playing at the time. Fast forward to 2016, I was done. I pulled up this email and I was like, wow, yo, this is awesome. And you know, I actually had thought of the idea for my company now called Ice Shaker while I was working out in the gym in Dallas. And I looked at the email and said, hey, I can't email them yet. Like I have to have something. I have to have some kind of sales. I can't just say, hey, I have this cool idea. You know, They'll kind of just laugh at me. So from there, it took me about three months before I emailed them. And, and I was able to put together about $25,000 in sales. You know, it, was, it, it isn't the worst in the world, man, going from ground zero, having nothing, having no product, no name, 
you know, to doing you know shows and you know SEO, doing whatever I could, uh, spending absolutely zero advertising dollars. I was able to to sell twenty five grand worth of product, and I hit them up and I said, hey, you know, I'd love to follow you up from an email three years ago. The girl wrote me back right away and just said, hey, I'm sorry, I don't work here anymore. And, uh, <laughs> I was like, man. So your mom and your dad each had $12,500 worth of shaker cups and no show for you to go on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of family and friends for sure. <laughs> a lot of hustling at the shows, man. I mean, if you walk by my booth, you were going to hear all about the shaker and I was going to show you it. I was going to compare it to the competition. I was, you know, it, There was no way you were walking by without finding out about it. No, at that time, she, she connected me to the other girl that, that was currently in that position now. From there, it was, hey... Uh, send us a submission video. And they kind of outlined what they wanted to see. And so I, I did it. I did it, man. I went big and I knew it was something that, you know, I, I had to just entertain them is it, kind of how I saw it. I had to make an impression. And so, you know, I made this video, showed the bottle, you know, showed me working out, ripping my shirt off. It showed some, some touchdown passes for me playing and I shot it over and I just waited. And it was about five days and you know, I'd check, uh, you send it as like a private link through YouTube and I kept checking every day. And finally, after like the fifth or sixth day, I saw that some people watched it. You know, that whole day I was just sitting by my phone, like, please call me, please call me, call me back. And pretty much just said, Hey, you know, your video was awesome. We absolutely loved it. You know, we think you'd be great for the show and don't get too excited because it's still a huge process. And it was, and a lot of paperwork, you know, there was still a chance of, of, of not going on the show. I had to follow up with everything from the business aspect to all my personal stuff as well, just to make sure there was nothing you know, on my record that, that might get them in trouble. From there, I was able to, to get to California. And then once you get there, it's, it's still a crazy process. And what I never understood about the show was how people went on there and would run out of product. I'm like, man, this is a one chance to just absolutely kill it. Why would you not be prepared? And what I found out when I got there was... You know, the first guy I met was like, "Hey, I was here last year, and I never, I never recorded." You know, they they had you know just bumped me till the next year. And I was like, "Oh man, you got to be kidding me!" So I flew all the way out here. My brothers were there as well, and you know, there wasn't even a hundred percent chance you were going to film. Then on top of that, once you do film, you don't know when you're going to air if you do air. So seventy percent of them that get filmed do air. The other thirty percent don't air. So there's a chance that you still don't air. And then when you do air, you know, it's this window from all the way from October till you know the next year. So it's almost a year window that you can actually air. If you want to stack up on inventory, that's that's your call. You don't know when you're going to air until two weeks before. So if you go big and you don't air for a year, you sit you know, on a bunch of inventory with no cash for a long time, taking a chance. So that, that was one thing that I didn't know about the show that I, that I soon found out. But man, it was, it was everything that you think it is. But you're saying inventory-wise because if you did film and then it had the exposure, you're saying that people are going to be placing orders. You're not talking about inventory for the sake of the show or because the sharks want to know what you have in inventory, correct? Yeah, correct. You you want to make sure you have a lot of stock because if you air, it's going to blow up. You don't want to run out. Did you have any strategies like the combined weight of you and your brothers is like a ton. And did you have like Super Bowl rings on their fingers to grab <laughs> some attention? I'm guessing you guys would stand out more than the average person uh, standing in a waiting area. Yeah. So no, they actually, they wouldn't let anyone know that we were there. So everyone's separate. I didn't know anyone else that was filming that day. No one knew that my family was there. Uh, everything was hidden. So, you know, I, I had a pretty good idea that we were going to film because, you know, they asked my whole family to come in and 
really the, the purpose of the show is to entertain and to get as many people as possible to watch it. So if they had someone like my brother on there who was going to bring in a big, a big audience, I was, it was pretty much a guarantee that we were going to film and, and air as well. So I was pretty confident with that. The second we filmed, I, I went and bought as much inventory as I possibly could. Yeah, you know, I was willing to take the risk, which I thought was a, you know, pretty much a, a guarantee. So that that was how I did it, and I could definitely understand why people don't stack up. But you know, I, I thought I had a really good chance of airing, so I did uh, as immediately afterwards go and, and get as much inventory as I could. What I think is really interesting, like it seems like a pattern for you. You got the email first. You liked the show Shark Tank, so you made your goal to get onto Shark Tank. You came up with an idea of a product after already having the goal set that you wanted to be on Shark Tank, and then it all came true. Like You worked toward it, and I think I see a pattern with you where you see what you want, and then you go for it, because most people who you see on that show, and I know that show is for entertainment, of course, but you hear some people have been working on their lifelong dream for five years, for 10 years, their entire life. You started working on it once you got the email, and then that still took three years till you got on. But it's amazing to me that you had that desire to be on the show before the product was even in your head. Yeah, man. It, it was kind of this this goal that, that I had told everyone, you know, and, and I knew the timelines as well. It was kind of, you know, when I first thought of the product, I, I was six months out from from recording. You know, they recorded in June. I looked it up. And so really I had a three month window to do something, you know, really get a get sales, get enough in that I could approach them. And then from there, it was another three month window where I could then get enough sales to get on the show and get a good deal. You know, I went on asking with a valuation of a million dollars. And so for me to get there, you know, I had to have a reason and I had to have some decent sales. So I was able to get my sales up to about eighty eighty thousand dollars and most of it came in the last two months right before we recorded. So I was actually able to prove to them that the company was worth at least a million dollars. So when it comes to this product, what made you say ice shaker? The world needs to have a non-smelly product because everyone's bottle smells so bad. Like, Why was that so close to your heart? Yeah. So for me, I continued living an active and healthy lifestyle after football. And I was going to the gym, not just once, a lot of times twice a day. And in Texas, it's super hot. You know, I was going to the gym. It was probably 100 degrees that day, and I was in the gym, and I was just making like those like designs out of the sweat rings on the ground. So every time I bench, pick up my bottle, take a sip, I put it down. There's a, a ring, a ring on the ground. I was kind of making patterns on the ground with it. And I was like, man, what am I doing? First off, you know, number two, why isn't there just a bottle out there? You know, that's insulated. Why isn't there one bottle that I could use all day, every single day? You know, I was bringing one to work. Then I'll go home. I grab one for the gym. Then I get home. I'd use another bottle or cup at the house. And really, the game plan was: Hey, let's just make you know one bottle that I could use all day, every day. For me, you know, there was a lot of other bottles out there that were insulated, but you know they were super hard to fill. Some of them you couldn't even put an ice cube into. They were super hard to clean. They didn't mix powders. So really, I just said, Hey, let's make the ultimate cup that I could I could use all day, every day. You know, that's what I did. And so I started. It's pretty small, and that's kind of how all my stuff and everything that I'd done. Because I actually I was working with my wife before this for five years, and you know we have this other company, and we still do, and it's, it continues to grow today, and it's been super successful from day one. But everything that we did was to always just start small. It was almost as a side hustle at first, and then once I could prove the concept, you know, then go big, then go all in. So that's kind of what I did with this. You know, I got the product, 
and it was kind of straight to the shows and, and straight to Amazon. And I figured if I can't sell it in person and if I can't sell it on the largest platform in the US, then it's not going to be successful. And, and so that's kind of how I tested it. You know, I had this first order came in, I tested it. And once I knew it was going to be successful, it was, Hey, let's do this. Let's go all in. Was starting a business something that was a challenge for you? Or was this something that just made sense? And did this feel more natural and a better fit than being a professional athlete? Could you have done this if you never were a professional athlete? Like, is there a crossover there? I think there's a a huge crossover. Man, entrepreneurship is almost the same thing as being an athlete. It's a lot of hard work. It's long hours. It's an absolute grind. And it's all on you, you know, if you want to be successful. Being an athlete, it's not just about performance. It was also about you know, studying, so studying the playbook with, with entrepreneurship. You know, that's all there as well. You, know, you have to be able to study the market, study the competitors. For me, I, you know, I had no clue what I was doing. And everything I did, I just learned on my own by either example or just figuring it out. And that's kind of man, what I learned from football. And, and not just football. You know, in college, you learn how to multitask. You know, it's one of the hardest jobs in the world is, is to go to school all day, then go to practice, then go to study hall, then go to, to, to mandatory meals, then get home and you know, study for the next day's test. And so I, I think all that just added up to you know, learning all these different skills and learning you know, hard work, dedication, it all led to, to also being successful afterwards because it's never easy, man. Anything, it doesn't matter how big you're following or, or what you did in the past. If you're starting a new product from ground up, it's going to be an absolute challenge. There's no trust there. You know, there's customers, you have no customer base, you have nothing. And you know, I, the first time, my first week that I posted about the product, I still remember, you know, I, I think I sold one bottle the first time I posted. And I was like, man, this is going to be a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But uh, yeah, huge, huge transition over. You know, I was actually lucky. One of the hardest things is that transition. And I see other players all the time struggle with it for years. And it's hard because you go from making thousands of dollars per week, you know, as a rookie minimum, I was, I was making probably around 25 grand a game, which was a, a weekly paycheck. So if you were on the roster on a Wednesday, you got paid to now going and, you know, leaving the NFL and getting paid, you know, maybe 50 grand a year. So that's a tough transition. For me, I actually got super lucky because after my third team, my wife, you know, I, I went to three teams in three years and we moved three times. And my wife finally said, you know, I am not finding another job. I'm absolutely sick of, of looking for new jobs in every city. I'm going to find a way to work from home. And she did. She started hand painting wine glasses, came home. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, whatever. This is never going to work. Super time consuming. She had to put them in the oven. She had to hand paint them, but they sold and they sold fast and she couldn't keep up with it. So she had to find a way to scale it. So that turned into outdoor vinyl that she was putting on and using a vinyl cutter. And that did really well. That was kind of the time that I was transitioning out of the NFL. I didn't have a team at the time. So I went back with her and and I started looking at this industry and saying, wow, this personalized gift industry, especially in the wedding industry, is a huge opportunity for us. And it's it's got some pretty nice margins as well. So we started investing some of my NFL money into industrial grade laser engravers, some better cutting machines. And we started finding and, and sourcing product as well. Went back to the Chargers for a year. Actually, really for a couple of months, I got hurt in camp and I and I took an injury settlement and my NFL career was over at that point. I tried to, you know, I rehabbed actually after the injury. I had a high ankle sprain. I rehabbed for about three months. I tried to come back. I ran a 40-yard dash and I ruptured my hamstring. It was either have surgery or uh, hang up the cleats. 
So I ended up hanging up the cleats, but you know, I had all of this in front of me already. The business was doing super well. Within the first year, we were, I was already making more money outside of the NFL than I was the year before playing in the NFL. So just got really lucky to fall into a situation where my wife had created this awesome business with a ton of opportunity. And I was able to kind of just fall right into it. And you know, with a ton of hard work and you know, grinding out of our house, filling up our third car garage with, with product and venting laser engravers out of our, our, our bedroom window. Yeah, we were, we, we were crushing it. Our whole porch was full of packages every single day and our neighbors were driving by taking pictures of it. But yeah, we didn't care. We were, we were just grinding and I was, I was used to working hard. I can tell what a great leader you are because this is the third time that you've given credit to someone else instead of yourself. The people who always say it was me, I had these great ideas. Those are people you can tell who are lousy leaders. You've given your mom credit, you've given your dad credit, you've credited your brothers, and now you're crediting your wife. So, I mean, that to me shows really what a remarkable guy you are. And here you use two terms that I guess is entrepreneur talk to say scaling, really good margins. Do you think that of your brothers who are so athletically gifted, do you think any of them could have started their own business and had the same success that you've had so far? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people look at us and they think we're meatheads. And yeah, we are for sure. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment all day, every day. If that means that we work hard and we work out hard and we play hard, absolutely. But at the same time, I think people kind of just assume that, you know, you're, you're not that smart because, you know, like my brother, at least he doesn't, doesn't talk with proper English all the time, kind of says his own words. And, you know, he's always been who, who he's been. He's never changed. Which brother is that? My brother, Rob. So he doesn't need to speak well. He signed the largest contract of that position ever. Yeah. So <laughs> people look at that as you know, not being professional. And, and, you know, they think that because you like to have a good time every once in a while that you're just not that smart. So we've all had, for the most part, had really good grades. My brother, Dan, uh, was actually had the opportunity to be a Rhodes Scholar. He got his master's. He was one of the first, I think he was the first athlete ever at the University of Maryland to get his master's degree while playing football still, while he was still in school. So. You know, grades were always super important to us as well. You know, the whole family, our whole family has always been raised that, you know, my mom raised us. So we had to do our homework before we could go outside and play, which is, is crazy to, to some people that they, you know, they thought that it was all about sports and athletics, but it really wasn't. It was, you know, come home, do your homework and then get the hell outside because you guys aren't staying inside all day. So you as a father, now that you're going to have your third boy on the way any minute now. What examples or what did your father instill in you that you plan to pass on and instill in your boys? That's one of my biggest challenges and it is just not giving them everything. I think that's what my parents did. Even when later in life, they were able to really provide us whatever we wanted to. They never did. And it wasn't because they didn't want to. I think it was because you know, they, they wanted us to have that value of a dollar though. They wanted us to work for everything that we got. And, you know, I find that right now to be a challenge because I am able to provide my kids with anything that they want. You know, I, I see my wife already doing it and there's packages showing up nonstop at the door over and over and over. As a kid, I watched you know, people with money do that with their kids and you know, they just didn't respect anything. You know, they didn't respect their car. You know, they didn't respect a dollar. It was always just given to them. And they never really worked hard for it. So I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned from my parents that I really want to instill in my kids as well. And, and I have to have, you know, the courage and the willpower to do that. 
That's a great answer. Do you think at any point when your dad built the gym in the basement, do you think part of it was him wanting you guys to achieve something that he had never achieved? I don't mean live vicariously through you guys, but almost like he was charting a course for you guys because you had that talent. Do you ever feel like because you've experienced this at this high level, do you think that it might be intimidating or challenging or your own boys might have trouble living up to your expectation because they assume that because they come from such an elite physical and smart family to live up to that expectation of the Gronk boys? I mean, I think they're going to get a lot of that for sure, just because of you know the family name now at this point. So yeah, I think there, I think there will be some pressure on them. But with my dad, it was, it was never about it. I mean, we didn't even play football until high school. You know, I didn't even know what football was until high school. And the only reason I played football was because my brother Dan played football. My oldest brother Gordy ever, he never played football. You know, he never got into it. My dad never forced us into it. It was always what we wanted to do. And then once we decided what we wanted to do, he was going to help us get better at it and get to that next level if we wanted to. So. You know, that's how I hope I can be with my kids as well. You know, the one thing that I don't want to do is is be that parent that's, you know, just pushing and pushing and pushing on your kid to do something that he doesn't even want to do. And so that's that's kind of how I look at it. I want to do exactly what my dad did and, and treat it that same way. So your son, Bear, says to you when he's 17, Dad, I hate sports. I want nothing to do with sports. <laughs> I don't even like to watch football. What would you say to him? Uh, I, I would be surprised for sure, but no, I, I completely understand. I mean, there's so much more out there and, and that's what, you know, I found out afterwards, you know, I would never go back and change anything, but at the same time, man, the, it doesn't end when football ends, you know, there's so much more out there and there's so many ways to be successful. So, you know, at that point it's, you know, he better be working, working hard, working towards a goal. If there's better things that are coming his way, absolutely. Please, please do. I mean, Sports, especially if you're not going to get to that next level, you might be better off focusing on your next career or your career in, in general in college instead. Kind of getting back to what I said before, you know, it's an absolute grind playing a college sport. It is not easy. And it's a huge time commitment to that sport when you're in college. So, you know, if you have other goals and you want to take another path, I tell people that, that you know, maybe you're, you're, you're good enough to walk onto a team or play division, you know, one double A. Maybe that's not the right choice for you. If you're not going to take it to that next level or get to that next level, you know, is it worth spending that much time when you could really be focusing on what's going to be your career instead? If I were to say, tell me one mistake that you made in your NFL career or football career, what one mistake comes to mind? Oh, man, I would probably say it would be more towards in college. I never thought I had a chance to make it to the next level. So I was told, you know, over and over and over that, you know, it's a one in a million chance. And I wasn't even the second best player in my own family. So, you know, when your teacher tells you that over and over and over again, everyone in the world tells you that, you know, you, you don't have that confidence. I wish I did earlier. You know, I, I never thought I would, I would even have a chance. So I didn't really take it serious. You know, I, I went out there and I mean, I guess I didn't take getting to the next level serious. You know, I went out there and, and I, I played as hard as I could every time, but I just never thought that was even an opportunity to get to that next level. So as a senior uh, and a junior, you know, I was having a good time too, man. I was going out, I was partying. That's, that's kind of, I guess, probably the one mistake is I wish I just took it a little more serious, especially in my senior year, because you know, I, I could have definitely got better, could have definitely helped myself you know, get drafted. But still, I mean, 
you live and you learn. And, and I think the path that I, I, I ended up going on was a great one and I definitely maximized it. It's not chances one in a million. I believe last time I read NFL, I think it's one in 30 million. <laughs> so that's what makes it so remarkable between you and your two brothers. That's absolutely insane. So what would your one mistake be in business looking back? Man, there's a lot. And every year I look back and say, wow, you know, I, I wish I knew that. I mean, I wish I knew now what I knew now. I wish I knew what I aired on Shark Tank because it's a whole different ball game. What's one thing that you wish you had known before Shark Tank? Uh, and I, w- I would say we were so young then, but I, I would, and this is kind of something that I guess we figured out just recently, I, I would say, I think this is a huge mistake. And it's kind of something that you kind of look at and say, how did you not know that? And how were you not better at it? But um, I would say teamwork. You know, as an entrepreneur, you, you, you're so used to doing everything yourself, you know, and you think you're the best at it, right? Uh, you created this product, you know it the best, you know, I did everything from, from ground up. And I think that was something that was needed at first, but became a mistake for me to continue doing it when I had the means and the ability to, to bring someone else in. And it would have let me, it would have let me grow a lot faster and a lot smarter, a lot better. So I would say I would say teamwork. It was one of my biggest mistakes in, in building out a good team around me, especially early on. I tried to put way way too much on my plate. You know, it was a eighty to one hundred hour work week every week. Really, it just at the end of the day, it just stopped us from growing even faster, from getting even better. You know, that was something that coming from the the NFL world or the sports world, you're like, man, how do you how do you not get that? You know, there's a coach, there's you know a head coach, there's you know you have all that, and then you have the players, and you know everything kind of just makes sense, but you know, that structure is already there. And then when you go into a business, you know, there's no structure. You're starting from ground zero. There's no culture. There's no, you know, there's no end goal. You're creating that all yourself. And so what I really had to figure out and really came from, from talking to other people was that, you know, there's one goal, one mission, build a team around it. And that's really what I started pushing towards. And then, you know, also just, just taking advice from other people that have already been there and done that. And I think that was the first thing that I had to do that I realized was was a mistake. I mean, it all kind of came back down to kind of just just ego. You know, you you think you're the best at it, and that nobody else can do what you do because you started it, right? I really had to put that aside and just say, hey, there's other people that have done absolutely amazing things that are way better than you know that that I've done, and let me learn from them. And so that's that's advice I tell people all the time. I started joining Facebook groups. You know, I started joining young entrepreneurship groups. I started reaching out to other companies that were in the Mark Cuban portfolio and asking them, "Hey, you know, what do, what do you guys do? What works for you?" And then try to try and, and then I would try to implement it into you know my strategy, even though it's a completely different company that had different goals, different products. You know, there's still a way to see what they're doing and then you know kind of tweak it and do it your own way. Yeah, I would say two mistakes was you know not reaching out to others and, and kind of learning from others' mistakes, and then you know build build a team around yourself and. Don't put too much on your plate and trust other people. You know, you have to get there. If you want to be amazing, if you want to grow, you want to get to that next level, if you want to win Super Bowls, it's all about the team that's around you. What's so great is there are many people that'll be listening to this interview and they'll hear, okay, join Facebook groups, check. Surround yourself by other entrepreneurs, check. Have mentors, check. Reach into the Mark Cuban portfolio. Okay, that's <laughs> one that a lot of people don't have at, a, at their disposal. I'm surprised over the answer of, creating a team around you, only going back to one of the first points 50 minutes ago, which was you liked playing with your brothers because it was a team within a team. So team was all around you. 
it's funny that that was the one thing that you feel like you were missing in retrospect was to form a team. Yeah, I, I, that's that's why I say it's one of my biggest mistakes. I think you just get so lost in you know. Let me do the. I mean, I was just lost in the daily grind. Is what it came down to. You know, I was answering customer service. I was sending out packages. I was engraving bottles. I was sourcing product. I was doing all the marketing. I mean, everything was you know. It, it just came from ground zero and it just kept adding up, adding up, adding up. And I just, you know, I, I was just grinding. You know, I never had ever, you know, put up an ad for an employer, but employee before, you know, I didn't know how to do that. And I just figured, Hey, I'll just do it myself. You know, it will, it'll be more time efficient if I, if I just do it myself. And I just kept doing that over and over and over again until it just became way too much. That's kind of when I finally realized like, Hey man, I kind of just fell into this trap where I need to start you know, building a team instead of trying to do everything on my own. So what's the state of the company now? Where can people find it? How can we support you? We're doing well, man. We've, we've grown every year after Shark Tank, the first year. So the first 12 months after we aired, we went from that 80,000 to over 3 million in sales in that first 12 months. So huge boost for us. But also we ended up getting on shelves at GNC. We're on, all this, we're on shelves at all the vitamin shops. We're in all the lifetime fitness uh, locations as well. You no, know, we're able to personalize bottles as well. And this is something that kind of came from my wife's business with, with the personalization aspect. But we do a bunch of bottles for all kinds of corporate events, all kinds of different companies. So it's, it's been good. You know, we're still always finding new ways to get better, bring a new product and, and think of cool new ideas to bring value to people. We do a lot to support the military. We've done some cool things to support our nurses during, during COVID. And anytime something you know that we can do to help others, we do support all kinds of different events, events for children, you know, anything that really comes across my plate. I, I want to help out. You know, we just did a a couple of things for uh, first responders as well with a with a group out of New York City. So oh, it's getting good, man. You could find me at Chris Gronkowski on all the social platforms. The company is at Ice Bottle on all the social platforms, or just IceSugar.com. Unbelievable. I love your story. You are such a great guy. And I love that you surround yourself with family, your wife, your kids. Your parents did a great job with you, not just creating a great athlete, but you really are a great guy with just really grounded. So it's nice to see. And I think a lot of people would be surprised to see professional athletes could be so intelligent and such good people. So you're giving them all a great name. (laughs) Hey, man, I appreciate that. I guess one other spot too is we have, I do have a podcast as well. It's called Gronked Up. Man, similar, very similar to you know, what you're doing. It's all about just bringing value to people. We talk about everything from running Facebook ads, to setting up your own website, to you know, bringing in absolutely awesome guests, to talk about you know, fitness, nutrition, or just your know, mindset. So that's a, a cool spot as well. And hope they check out the podcast as well. For more info, visit getconnects.com. That's G-E-T-C-O-N-N-E-X-X.com. Or visit us on Facebook at connects, I-N-C, or on Instagram at connects underscore. And a special thanks to our sponsor, Don Pablo. All their coffee is roasted in small batches, providing the freshest tasting coffee imaginable. Simply put, it's a better cup of coffee. Order on Amazon or at donpablocoffee.com.